Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pamela Riccia, and it's the 21st of September, 2022, as I record this intro. And this week, we're flashing back to episode 119, Gaming and Growing Up Unschooling with Xander McSwan. Xander left school in the fifth grade when his parents, both professors in the University of Maryland's College of Education, decided the best thing they could do was to start unschooling. I get so many questions about screen time and video games and how they fit into an unschooling life, and this 2018 conversation is fascinating and fun. We dove deep into Xander's passion for video games, including the difference between gaming as part of de-schooling and choosing gaming as a passion, the joys of gaming, and things he learned or experienced through gaming that continue to be relevant in his life. Xander's perspective looking back as a grown unschooler is reassuring and enlightening. And before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support is instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now, let's dive into my conversation with Xander. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Xander McSwan. Hi, Xander. Hi, Pam. It's such a delight to be uh, to be here. Hey, I'm so excited to chat with you. Just as a quick introduction, I first came across Xander through an episode he did with Blake Bowles for the Off-Trail Learning Podcast. I really loved what he had to share, and I wanted to talk more with him about his experience growing up unschooling. I was thrilled when he agreed to chat with me. So, to get us started, Xander, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? Yeah, that'd be my, my pleasure. Uh, so, I have been, uh, I was unschooled growing up for most of my life. I did go to public school, um, let's see, during the elementary school years. I dropped out in, I believe, the fifth grade. And my transition was a little bit uh, unusual from what I usually see in the unschooling community, mm-hmm. which is that uh, my parents are both uh, professors in University of Maryland's College of Education. And so they were, especially my mom, I think, was really involved in looking at uh, uh, just studies on human learning and, and uh, child brain development. And it became really apparent to them sort of from that perspective that the best thing they could do for their kids, me and my two siblings, uh, would be to pull us out of school. And so for me, it was a it was a decision that came from my parents. Uh, So, yeah, you you were how were you feeling about school at the time? I was uh, I was hmm, Hmm. sort of mixed or mixed or or neutral about it. Yeah, I I think I did well in school. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that uh, though I have a lot to say on sort of the, the structures and systems of school. I think there are some uh, types of sort of thinking that 
can succeed within the systems that school sets. And uh, I think that I, w- I was able to uh, sort of pass on tests and, and perform in that way. And so mm-hmm. I had a sense of sort of like acceptance within mm-hmm. school yeah. and was like, was told that I was good. Yeah. So, so for me, it was like uh, a positive experience in that sense. But I definitely don't think that I was like learning or growing in a really, truly meaningful way yeah. in school. Oh, that's such and a great point. I, yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, the unschooling shift definitely made a, a really huge difference uh, for the better in my life, even though school was I was getting good grades and school was, you know, telling me that I was doing well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting to uh, to hear. Like uh, in my situation, you know, I, I did fine in school and it wasn't until later, you know, when I had kids and started actually thinking about the system, but it was because my son wasn't doing well. That was that was the trigger for me to start looking and to start questioning things. So it's so interesting that it was, um, I guess, specifically your mom's um, work in education. That was the trigger for her to start questioning things. I do know of a few unschooling parents who are like um, at colleges and universities in the education uh, department, like professors of education who are choosing to unschool their own children. So that that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think there was, you know, a mix too. Like I, as a as a kid, we would often take family vacations or like miss days or, or sometimes a week of mm-hmm. school to just go adventuring. Yep. Um, and my parents really quickly saw like the difference in me and my siblings when we were away from school or at school. Uh, ah. largely in just like how happy we were and how it like the sense of sort of de- like delight and awe that we would have. And uh, it really lined up for them with the research they were doing that those moments where we were really fully engaged with uh, being where we were and sort of soaking in the experience of something new was when we were really learning and really uh, growing. So it made a lot of sense to them to make that the primary focus of our of our youth and our sort of education. So did you notice a big difference? Like once you left school, was it more just back to those, you know, vac- vacation days or whatever those days that you spent hanging out with your parents? Did you just kind of dive right into that or was there more of a transition? Yes and no. I, I would say there was a, a transition, um, especially in the uh, last sort of few years or year or two of, um, of my schooling, I was starting to take it more and more seriously. Mm-hmm. And so uh, wouldn't uh, go as often on days off or, or like family vacations mm-hmm. uh, because it became really important to me to have my teachers, you know, look at me and say I was doing well and yeah. give me good grades. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is, of course, so common. And so I would... Uh, like stay home and and work really hard on homework and and go to school and try really hard to um, to succeed in a way where I could be acknowledged. And uh, so in our last few years, I I got more and more sort of into the into the swing of sort of where I think school can start to really deserve um, the human mind, mm-hmm. which is for me when. Um, when learning becomes a really forced process. Yeah. And 
and one that's intention isn't to grow, but to sort of perform and, uh, and, uh, I could say maybe like prove yourself or, or like be seen as having accomplishment Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. under this very specific sort of set of criteria. So how did you find that transition? Because you had bought into, you know, not any of that definition of, of learning, right. To be seen as, as accomplishing and, and, and doing well within that system and learning looks very different outside of school. Right. So totally was it, was it hard? I can imagine, you know, maybe at first it's like, well, I'm not learning anything, you know, I'm having fun, but then after a while starting to worry maybe about whether or not you were learning, was that something that you went through? Uh, yeah, yes, I, I think so. And um, I think it was offset largely because I did have a lot of trust for my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and since my parents were so confident yeah. that, um, you know, that my life was going to be better if I unschooled, yeah. I, I believed in that. Um, and I did definitely go through, uh, to some degree, the classical de-schooling process. Yeah. yeah. So um, spent quite a bit of time just like turned off at home, um, watching TV and playing video games. Um, and I, I think we're going to talk more about that later, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, just going into sort of this deep recovery mode, uh, that I, to me is what the de-schooling process is. Yeah. I mean, and as you say, that does lead perfectly into the next question, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, Because one of the common worries for newer unschooling parents is around whether or not to limit the time their children spend, you know, watching TV or specifically playing video games. And as you alluded to, there's a difference between de-schooling and choosing gaming as a passion, though at first it might be really hard to distinguish between them. So I was hoping you could talk about the difference. Yes, definitely. Um, so just to go over a little bit in case anyone listening is, is new to de-schooling or unschooling, uh, the idea with de-schooling is that very commonly there's a, a period of time after a kid leaves school, it seems to me to range from six months on the very high end, maybe up to two years, uh, where really that kid is recovering from the sort of mental state that school often puts kids into, which is, um, one of really repetitive activity and very low creative engagement. And, um, that kind of experience drawn over uh, the length of time that it does in school can be a little bit traumatic. And so for a lot of kids, there's this long period of time where they're sort of going into recovery and almost you can think of it as just resting. Like, like their brain needs time to sort of rearrange itself mm-hmm. and, um, and wake up to the possibility of being really like present and engaged as sort of the, uh, the independent and free, like driving force in your own life. And so for me, what that looked like was I went home and I would lay on the couch all day and either watch TV or play video games. And I think what was happening for me is I was just doing like getting some minimal source of stimulation, but the main sort of intention or focus on a subconscious level was to rest and to, to give myself time to sort of like recover. 
And uh, there's a, a big difference between the way I engaged with media in that state um, and the way I engaged with media afterwards. What, uh, what typically happens, I think, is that during this de-schooling process, even when uh, someone's engaging with something like uh, a TV or a movie, there's a little bit of like a glazed look to them. Uh, like they're just sort of uh, passive in that mm-hmm. engagement. And that can be really scary for unschooling parents who are new to like to see their kids come out of school and be in this sort of um, in a state that, that really doesn't look like they're they're getting much out of the unschooling process because they're not really moving in a tangible way. Um, but then inevitably there's this incredibly beautiful moment, uh, in every story I've heard where one morning the kid wakes up and, and comes into the kitchen and says, mom, I really want to learn how to cook. Can you show me how to make pancakes or, or mom, I really want to read this book. Um, and there's this, like this explosion where this like recovery sort of hits a critical mass and, um, the kid is able to re-engage with uh, creative development and uh, intellectualism. I really love that because it's so true. You know, the parents, when they, you know, they've chosen unschooling and their kid comes home from school, like they're all excited, right? They're like, oh, yeah. we can do all these things. We can do all these things. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and totally. then their poor child, like, because I mean, um, on one level, de-schooling is a little easier to understand if your child has had more traumatic experiences at school, right? It's like, oh, they need to yeah. recover from that. But you're absolutely right. There is that whole um, system that, that we've just really internalized, right, of Definitely. of how we learn and and even just how we're told what to do. We've always been told what to do and kept busy and, you know, that cocooning to be able to relax and release all that kind of programming for lack of a better word um and and to um ah regather your agency like you said one day they wake up and they want to do something something has struck their interest and they're they're ready to do that but yeah it, it can be a scary time when they cocoon just when parents think they've released them onto the world right yes totally because humans are such like creative and adventurous uh creatures mm-hmm. and and i i think just like you said that um there's a lot to sort of the subtle ways that school can uh, start to inhibit or take that away from kids, um, both through things like uh, limiting sort of creative engagement, and also I think uh, like you were saying on a on a social level, not really having a lot of choice mm-hmm. or or being told that you're sort of only um, like accepted and worthy if you perform in a very specific way, and then a lot of kids have different ways of coping with that, and there's there's just so much there that can create. Um, little bits of painful experience that ultimately lead to a story that that, like I'm not creative um you know I'm not worthy I'm I'm failing and it's it takes a lot for the brain to sort of recover from that and go back into a space of being able to jump into creative engagement and it it happens because brains are amazing Mm -hmm. Um, but it takes time yeah, well, and then that gets prolonged too, or can be when um, parents 
become maybe vocal or or even their energy like you said i mean everyone children are so perceptive you know that when it feels disapproving those are still the same kinds of messages that they're trying to recover from and so sometimes we can end up extending that period by you know what do they say you know you don't um pull up a plant to see if it's growing or whatever, you know, if we keep trying to test, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you sure uh-huh. you don't want to yeah. go out and play. You sure you don't want to do this. Like they can tell that that's a judgment or an expectation. And we're not very comfortable with the choices they're making at that moment. So then there's that, that as well that they need to work through, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think, uh, so, so I'll maybe add a little bit of a note that a lot of the work I'm doing in my life right now is around um, psychology and emotional wellness. For mm-hmm. so a lot of sort of the, the language I'm using and the way I'm thinking about these concepts is in sort of a, a frame of like trauma. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to kind of make that transparent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love that. I, I love that idea, and I, I think that um, to me the most value one of the most valuable parts of unschooling is the sort of unconditional positive regard and acceptance that a parent can give to a kid yeah um just that sense of like really as a kid trusting that it's like okay to be myself and okay to do it feels good and take care of myself like that's that's such a huge thing to be able to give a young and developing mind and uh yeah a really really precious thing and it's, it's hard to be able to do that as a parent, like really wanting to contribute to your kid as best you can. Um, but it seems like one of the really impactful ways to, to contribute is to really trust a kid's process and, mm-hmm. and uh, give that sort of unconditional love and support. Yeah, especially during that de-schooling time, that the initial yeah. set anyway. The just focusing on building that relationship and trust, like that trust lies at the root of everything. I love that you brought that up because that really is so important. Like when they feel that strength and foundation and trust from you, it's from there that they feel energized to step out, right? And to be able to follow Absolutely. what they're, yeah, that's so cool. So I was curious how your passion for gaming developed, and I was hoping awesome. you could share a bit about how that unfolded. Yeah, we can get into the the fun, me the fun stuff, stuff. Of, yeah. of gaming. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, there's there's uh, a bit to it. For, for me, there were, I think, sort of two really big things that made me sort of go, wow, when I um, discovered gaming. And one part of it was... Uh, influence from from family. My my cousins on my mom's side were really big video gamers, and they were, uh, I think, between like five and ten years older than me. Mm-hmm. And in my eyes, they were just like the coolest people uh, <laughs> that could walk the earth. And uh, so when it when they would visit, we would uh, all sort of play together on our computers, whether it was like Warcraft three or sometimes my cousin would let me play Ratchet and Clank on his, uh, PS three and, uh, or PS two, I think it was at the time. Anyway. Uh, so there was this sort of social element where these like really amazing people were showing me this, um, really beautiful and artistic world that I could dive into. 
and uh, and it was initially this really social experience of um, getting to sort of play in it. Like you can almost, I think at first I thought of it as like a board game that just was so three dimensional. Ah. Um, and like there was so much sort of complexity and depth that I was diving into and I was sort of collaboratively engaging with it, with these people that I just really admired. Um, so that was, I think, a huge component for me. And that continued to be an emphasis on how I engage with gaming throughout my life was that really social component. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece of it I, I want to elaborate more on is I think that uh, a lot of that sort of growth process, especially right around um, the age where I left school, I think I was maybe 10 and, and up and through maybe 15 or 16 is, uh, this really sort of intense, like, uh, period of trial and error of like seeing what it looks like to go into this, uh, strange circumstance and, uh, and how that sort of reacts. And, um, to someone of that age in particular, video games are this incredible opportunity because they offer this expansive sort of set of possibilities that you can explore. And the, the way the game sort of, so you, in a lot of these games, I don't know how many listeners have played video games before. So I'll maybe go go a little bit basic, but in a lot of games, you're sort of, um, there's an avatar in the game representing you. And there's this really powerful state of immersion where, sort of while you're playing the game, it's not necessarily that you, like in your head, you aren't thinking of yourself as looking at a screen, um, making sort of dots fly across. Uh, You are that character. You know, often like, I think it's, there's can be a similar experience if you're reading a really good book. Like you kind of become that character. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and there's, I think, a similar sort of growth where, for me, when I was a kid reading stories, a lot of it was like, oh, my God, what that would feel like, you know, mm-hmm. to be this character in this book on this great adventure. And then all sort of like the growth of feeling into that archetype and, and seeing what happens. And then video games introduce this whole new um, element to that where not only are you experiencing this, like, incredible story from sort of a first person perspective, you are also making the choices about where the story goes. Exactly. So you get to choose for yourself what the most like creative thing you can think of is to do. And then you get to see what the results of that are. And I want to clarify, there's, there's sometimes, more to it than like so let's say I'm in a game and I am it's like a some kind of combat game it's not necessarily that I am playing with the possibility of like fighting some guy on the street and seeing how that turns out for me and then applying that to fighting someone in real life um it's I think more meaningfully um seeing sort of which parts of myself I want to um, 
dive into and explore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and which parts of myself I want to grow and sort of which aspects of that archetype of a hero and which parts of their story and their pain I can really relate with um, and how that all feels. And I think that really supports like especially emotional growth and um, an understanding of sort of what it, what it means to be human through living all of these stories through so many different eyes in such rapid succession. And especially too, you can even replaying the same game. And I know my son would talk about doing different, different way playthroughs, you know, making different choices, um, like taking on different personas, trying them on, seeing how they, what happens to them through, through the same kind of story, but seeing how it plays out differently. And yeah, that's totally. It's, it's a fancy, uh, wonderful way to um, just just explore. Like you're talking, you were talking about exploring within the game too, and. Um, exploring just all the different perspectives that you, you can even play through sometimes in different the different players' perspectives. You can yeah. approach your playthrough, you know, with a different mindset. Oh, you know, what if... And it's even like exploring that mindset for yourself, right? I want to play this. Like, if I thought I was going to be like a superhero, what choices would I make here? If I thought yeah. I, you know, wanted to become the villain, what choices would I make? And, and yeah, it's just, it's so in-depth, isn't it? <laughs> Totally. And it's so powerful. Like, I, I really want to reiterate that, um, like, especially in, I think, a really good game, one of the things that me and my brother, who also love video games, would love doing was to go through a story as sort of a hero mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and experience sort of the conflict from that perspective and be trying to make these really like uh, morally righteous choices yeah. and, and uh, save everyone and help the world. And then also um, to finish the game, and then go back through it from the villain's perspective mm-hmm. or like play as the bad guy. And I think in a, in a good game, um, it'll really be apparent. Like you'll, you'll have the same sense of immersion as that villain, but you'll be like experiencing all sort of the like pain that the villains in that leads to these like really um, harmful choices that the villains making. Um, yeah, because, and I think it gives us really broad understanding of conflict as a whole, which is so cool. I love that because a, a well-drawn, well-created villain, you know, believes he's the hero of his story. Right. So, as you said, he exactly. has all these conflicts, yeah. all these things going on. It's just such a way to realize that our perspective isn't the only one. Right. What a way to explore that, you know, even in our conversations and engagement with other people, they have different perspectives. It it brings that home so clearly, doesn't it? Yeah. I think one of the really powerful things about video games is being able to sort of uh, take this, what's usually a linear storyline and Mm -hmm. pull it apart to this like hyper complex um like sort of sphere of conflicts and and sub stories and look at it from all different angles and get to just really fully experience that story as um like an example of what it means to be human mm-hmm. just so so cool yeah and and i love the some of those worlds are just so huge and the story so yes. complex yeah. 
that the way they weave together, I used to love when, you know, one of the boys would pass by and give me an update on a story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What twists and turns had happened and who was doing what now. And, and it was, it's, it's always so fascinating to listen to. I mean, and you know, there's some games that don't do it quite as well, but I mean, that's another huge aspect you learn. Like you um, start to understand what, what it is that, they didn't do so well that makes it maybe less immersive or makes the choices seem unrealistic or whatever it's just a whole um a whole a language a whole world um that you learn so much about even even just on its own right did that yes. make sense <laughs> definitely definitely it uh brings up for me I think a really important piece um, that sort of relates back to the difference between like engaging with specifically video games, either as a de-schooling process or as sort of Mm -hmm. a passion driven uh, choice. And uh, one of the ways I see that happen is that sort of creative switch can turn on when you start to like view whatever media you're consuming as art and think about its creation. Yeah. Um, And that, that same thing can happen for TV where you, start to, instead of just sort of blindly soak in what you're mm-hmm. viewing, you're looking at it as this sort of intricate, um, sometimes masterpiece, sometimes, you know, terrible yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> example of, uh, of the creation of a, of a sort of an expression of artistry. And uh, for some people who dive into video games, like I think one of my cousins who so inspired me, um, went on to be a really brilliant game developer. And... Mm. Uh, it's, it's so cool that sort of, um, yeah, so if you think of video games as, uh, as three-dimensional books, there, on one hand, is sort of this huge uh, sphere of, of stories and, and narratives weaving together from the perspective of the participants of the story. But then there's also the, the sort of story of the creators of the game itself. And it's just, I think, one more level at which you can analyze um, sort of the story. And uh, and it's so cool to get to see um, people who are sort of coming from this passion-driven, unschooling mentality get to really dive into it as an art form and as a way of expressing their, uh, their creative selves and um, try their own sort of uh, attempt at weaving these complex stories from multiple perspectives it's it's really uh yeah fun to watch (laughs) it is and i mean like you said there's just so many aspects to the to the whole thing isn't there i mean from from the art to the like we'll have long conversations about the music and how the music you know evokes atmosphere and you know and how how you know certain uh, themes of music just spark and put you right back into the situation the moment like in that game where where that song appeared you know exactly what that what that was you know totally yeah I, i had a really funny moment actually just yesterday um so I haven't at this point. I've played, I've played some video games sort of off and on in my adult life, but haven't been as sort of serious about it as when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, but yesterday, I was uh, sitting in in the living room. I live with a, in sort of a collective house with a few housemates, and one of my um, one of my housemates was uh, goofing around with a recorder, mm-hmm. uh, the flute instrument, 
and um, played this sound that sounded exactly like um, from one of the games I had played as a teenager, the start, like the intro note oh, to yeah. the combat music that plays, <laughs> which like is so heavily drilled into me that like as soon as I hear that note, I like get ready for action. Um, <laughs> like someone's about to try and fight me, um, even though I don't recognize what the threat is in the game world. So yesterday, like I that I heard that sound and that like deep memory was stimulated for me. I like hopped up in my seat a little bit and like <laughs> was was terrified. There was probably some dragon about to breathe fire on me. I had to get the heck out of there. Um, Oh, that's so yeah. fun. <laughs> totally. Totally. So, yeah, it's, it's all this really amazing art form. And, um, yeah, I also want to talk a little bit about just, like, the sheer beauty mm-hmm. of games. I, I remember uh, so many moments where um, I would walk. I, I personally really loved fantasy games. And, um, yeah, there were moments where I would be in this sort of immersive world and I would be like sort of walking down this trail looking for the next adventure to go on and I would uh, like crest a hill and see this like incredible sunset mm-hmm. um, with waterfalls and meadows and, and forest and um, it was amazing to me to sort of capture that uh, sense of very real awe that I um, it, it was like it's so similar to the sense I get of like going on beautiful hikes Mm-hmm. Um, as an adult and, and to have that, um, stimulated sort of so regularly, uh, as a kid. And even though it was in sort of that digital context was so, so fun. And, and I think not only that, it really sort of, um, uh, settled into me, uh, a, a passion for like discovery and for, um, looking for those sort of overlooks in life. And um, and finding those moments of awe because um, it's such a beautiful experience, and I think really becomes just such a deeply satisfying thing. And it's so cool to me that we can that through video games that can be really accessible to like any kid who can venture into their computer. Yeah, that's a great point. The just the the exploration factor of it, right? The discovery, yeah. the what's what's over the next hill, around the next corner, what's going to show up. You know, it's it's so interesting. And the just you, to go back to the art and just the beauty of so many of the games. I know I would just I would go sit and watch just just to see like even, you know, uh, I I watched quite a few of the, the fantasy games when you're out um, in a in a cool world. But then even ones like inside a spaceship and like just the detail. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, just like. Well, I watched Fallout 4 for a while, and I mean, even mm-hmm. just, just let's go read all the posters, you know, from from <laughs> yeah, ages ago, totally. right? And and you turn on the radio and the old, the old music that was there. I mean, there's a lot of care that goes yeah. into, into these games, uh, into a lot of the games anyway. You know, even... <laughs> Even um, some of the indie games where they don't have the budget for all that, yeah. but it it's still beautiful, even in its own style. It, 
it's totally. very stylistic. They still have their touches, the things you can you, you almost feel like you kind of, you know, get to know the the designers and the creators as Definitely. you play because you yeah. see what was important to them. Right. You see what they focused on to bring out and everything. It's always so interesting. <laughs> totally. And I think it's very true that you sort of build a relationship with the game designer. Mm-hmm. Like I know that like for me and my brother, we loved Bethesda games mm-hmm. as kids. And so now, like, Bethesda hasn't released a new title in a while. Whenever they do, we get so excited. Um, Yeah, knowing that these, like, storytellers that we really resonate with Mm -hmm. are are, uh, creating again. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Now, the other thing I wanted to touch on, um, because in my experience anyway, I think diving into any passion, which totally includes a passion for video games, can be a wonderful way to learn so much about ourselves too, right? And that that understanding applies everywhere in our lives. We touched on it a bit in, um, you know, the emotional resonance and um, navigating uh points of view and perspectives and and relationships that way. But everything from, you know, how do I deal with when I get frustrated, you know, uh, when I'm tired, hungry, you know, all just all these everyday aspects of ourselves. It doesn't matter necessarily what the the filter is through and and you experience all all those parts of being human, the way you were talking about, of being human through video games as well, don't you? Yeah, I think so, definitely. (laughs) Um, To me, one of the really cool things about it is it sort of gives a um, a, a way to sort of tangibly measure um, sort of different scenarios. So so one example I can give is I used to play um, like shooter games. I played like... Call of Duty, mm-hmm. and I did an experiment one time as a kid, where I uh, I played a game and I listened to like really hard and fast like rap music, and um, while I played, really like turned up loud. I noticed as I watched myself that I would like play super aggressively in the game. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. ran around all crazy, causing explosions and and shooting things and then i played another game and i switched and listened to this really like soothing peaceful um like jack johnson or something mm-hmm. um and i played super conservatively um and i didn't notice the difference until i went back and watched replays of the games oh yeah but it was it was really cool to be able to just um have this sort of way where i'm subconsciously expressing where i'm expressing my subconscious through sort of my subtle actions within a game and then to be able to watch that, that sort of as a as an outside perspective super cool and then and then yeah like you were also saying um being able to explore um different sort of ways of making choices in mm-hmm. one of those immersive games yeah um and different sort of archetypes you can try on i know uh for me as i got into a lot of the fantasy games I just so fell in love with the idea of being an adventuring, exploring um, hero who went around looking for ways to help people and um, and contribute to the world. And I think that uh, that was for me the the really big takeaway mm-hmm. for a lot of the games I played. I, I ended up eventually, I think. Um, 
I wasn't consciously thinking of it as like a real life video game. But when I was 18, I went on this um, long uh, adventure. Part of that was I went traveling in uh, Thailand for mm-hmm. for a few months, and I would go to these um, like little farms and help local farmers and um, and volunteer here and there. And um, in a, in my own way, I think was sort of an expression of that um, love I had for like seeing this new and beautiful place and looking for the people there who who could use any help that I can offer mm-hmm. and like um, contributing to, to the space I'm in and like um, just appreciating the beauty of that uh, that experience and process. That's so cool. I love that, that uh, how you noticed that later, you know, oh, I'm, I'm losing the word, not connection, but Anyway, someday it'll come to me. <laughs> but yeah, I'd be between the, <laughs> yeah, the similarities, maybe the similarities between those two things. That's um, that's a really interesting connection, and and it leads very nicely into the next question, which was um, I was hoping you'd share some examples of the things that you learned or experienced through gaming that continue to be relevant in your life now, like what threads you see now as you look back, the connections to gaming, um, to where you are now? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so one of the big ones for me is what we already talked a little bit about, which is um, conflict and perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- today I work as a um, sort of a mediator, uh, and I, I work with with sort of conflict and um, and emotional wellness, and uh, do a lot of sort of restorative justice work. And uh, I think a lot of that uh, was something I got to really like the same sort of consciousness of being able to look into this really sort of um, delicate uh, connection between two humans and see both perspectives and. Um, and like value the needs um, expressed by the actions of each person, uh, and I, I think that I, it's a, a so so similar to what I got to engage with as a kid, seeing stories play out from two different perspectives and getting to really put myself into the shoes of both the villain and the hero. Um, so that, so so that for me was a, was a really huge one, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think also. Um, Big one was like I said that love for adventure and love for independence. Yeah. Um, I noticed I was uh, so happy in games where I got to like um, carry almost nothing with me and uh, go. Like, I was I was just so fascinated with just the concept, the idea that this person could um, have like enough food for a few days. Um, if I sort of like break down what's happening. Yeah. sort of reality as an, if an adventure going forward, this yeah. person had like a backpack with some stuff <laughs> and, uh, Off they go. <laughs> like, like a, a few possessions and a little bit of food and they just go, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, if I, if I ignore the parts about like fighting goblins, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> that sort of, that sort of core component of there being this, this person looking for adventure and like not needing anything, but, um, themselves and what they have, um, and going and finding a really, um, finding the biggest meaningful and and sense of purpose, 
um, and contributing to the world that they can with whatever they can bring um, was so cool. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, I went on this long adventure as a mm-hmm. when I was sort of coming into adulthood. I, um, now I, I really love um, minimalism. It's, it's mostly, I think, as a way of engaging with environmentalism, but but I love, um, yeah, I'm sort of trying to see how much I can contribute to the world um, with as, as little as I have. Mm. Um, and uh, so that's kind of one of the subtle things I think came for me. And then, then with that, just that love of like exploration and adventure and looking for ways to help people. Um, I ended up in my life um, like going on a little bit of an unconventional route, which I'm sure is conventional for unschoolers <laughs> to do. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, yeah, I, I skipped college and um, I, I work in, a, in an unusual job and I spend, I think, like slightly more time than I spend working professionally, volunteering. Um, and for me, I think a lot of that comes from this uh, part of myself that I got to express through video games of being really committed to helping people and like having the most important thing be a sense of um, purpose and contribution. Oh, I um, love that. Yeah. That makes that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, that's awesome, Xander. I really do love that. So then, as our last question, as a grown unschooler, what piece of advice would you like to share with unschooling parents who are just starting out on this journey? Hmm. <laughs> I know we talked we yeah. talked earlier about the cocoon phase if that happens. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And I think that is such a big piece to um I think it's probably the, the biggest learning curve mm-hmm. is um having heard from sort of uh like our, our sort of cultural paradigm that as a parent you're uh sort of like so responsible. Um, for your kid to to be okay, yeah. and if they aren't like um, behaving in a way like a kid and out on TV behaves, then you're a failure as a parent. Um, and I think that um, a really big part of unschooling is sort of slowing down and learning to really trust in your kid and in the relationship you have with your kid, and to let. Uh, let that kid blossom in exactly the way that they want to and that they're meant to. And I think the the most powerful thing any parent can do for a kid, in my opinion, is to um, be there to sort of stand as this like smiling, supportive witness um, and watch the kid grow into their perfect expression of who they want to be in the world. Yeah. Um, and that can be that can be really hard to do as a parent. That's a huge <laughs> question, like a huge request to make. Um, and I think there's like I haven't uh, heard research or stories that have led me to think there's anything else that comes close to having as much impact in a kid finding happiness and um, and meaningful engagement in their life. Yeah, I love that. I I love that word witness witness rather than direct. Right. Yeah. I really love that's that's a that's a great way to put it. 
um, to be there and and that positive, trusting, um, supportive, uh, just just. So I guess supportive supportive is it, you know, witness to their lives and, and encouragement um, uh, yeah. and acceptance of who they are. Right. That that totally. that's that huge piece, you know, when you especially when you come from school with school, there's this, you know, model that everybody's supposed to get to. Right. Yeah. Do, doing well and listening well and doing what you're told and, and, and everything. But to help them to give them the space and time and support to find out who they are. Yeah. Right. That's, that was great. One, one of the projects I work on now is, um, I volunteer in, in prisons, mm-hmm. um, helping, uh, helping inmates to sort of get to know themselves and, um, come into a greater sense of sort of like emotional understanding and, um, a really huge part of what we're doing there is, um, giving this human um, a space to express themselves and be accepted and sort of like learn to trust that they're safe in that room and that they're loved and belong um, and that they deserve those things sort of no matter what. And uh, if you can give that to someone while they're a kid, you know, mm-hmm. before they make a mistake, I think uh, as humans, we're, we're so like to have a sense of like safety in our body. It's is so dependent on having a sense of belonging mm-hmm. and having a sense of like family. And I think to, to let a kid know that they're accepted and that um, and that they're loved no matter what in the, such a tangible way as like, really being there to support them and them making their own choices, like nothing can do so much to really set a kid free. I love that. I got goosebumps. <laughs> so true. So true. That's th- that's wonderful. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Xander. I really appreciate it. I love diving into gaming a bit with you. <laughs> totally. Totally. <Yay>! So fun. <laughs> and before we go, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Yeah. If, if you'd like to um, connect with me more, you can reach me. My email address is xmacswan at gmail.com. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, if you're if you're in Portland, Oregon, um, and want to like see the work I'm doing or engage with me, um, you can totally reach out. My business's website is rosecitynbc.org. Oh, excellent! <laughs> yes, I will share that in the show notes too. Cool. Awesome! Thank you so much, Xander. It was lovely to chat with you. Totally. You too, Pam. Have a great one. You too. Bye. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.